Chapter 7 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 7, How Lord Ruse Obtained Sir Francis Mitchell's Signature. "'What, my prince of usurers!' exclaimed Lord Ruse in a mocking tone. "'My worthy money-lender, who never takes more than cent per cent, "'and art ill-content with less, "'who never exacts more than the penalty of thy bond, "'unless more may be got, "'who never drives a hard bargain with a needy man, "'by thine own account, "'who never persecutes a debtor, "'as the prison shall vouch for thee, "'who art just in all thy transactions, "'as every man who hath had dealings with thee will affirm.' and who knows not how to lie, to cheat, to cousin, as some usurers do. "'You are pleasant, my lord,' Sir Francis replied. "'I mean to be so,' Lord Roos said, "'for I esteem thee for thy rare qualities. I know not thy peer for cunning and knavery. Thy mischievous schemes are so well conceived that they prove thee to have an absolute genius for villainy. Scruples thou hast none, and considerations and feelings which might move men less obdurate than thyself.' have no influence over thee. To ruin a man is with thee mere pastime, and groans of the oppressed are music in thine ears. Aha! A good jest! You were always merry with me, my lord. Yes, when I borrowed money from thee, but not when I had to repay it twice over. I laughed not then, but was foolish enough to threaten to take thy life. My anger is past now. But we must drink together, a rousing toast." "'At your lordship's pleasure,' Sir Francis replied. "'Cyprion, a flask of wine and thy largest goblet,' Lord Roos cried. "'Tis well. Now pour the whole into the flagon. "'Do me reason in this cup, Sir Francis?' "'What, in this mighty cup, my lord?' the knight replied. "'Nay, tis too much, I swear. "'If I become drunken, the sin will lie at your door.' "'Off with it, without more ado, "'and let the toast be what thou practisest, pillage and extortion.' I cannot drink that toast, my lord. Twill choke me. Sideth, villain, but thou shalt, or thou shalt never taste wine more. Down with it, man, and now your signature to this paper? My signature, Sir Francis cried, reeling from the effect of the wine he had swallowed. Nay, my good lord, I can sign nothing that I have not read. What is it? A blank sheet, Lord Ruse rejoined. I will fill it up afterwards. Then, my lord, I refuse. That is, I decline. That is... I had rather not, if your lordship pleases. But my lordship pleases otherwise. Give him pen and ink, and set him near the table. This was done, and Sir Francis regarded the paper with swimming eyes. Now, your name, written near the bottom of the sheet, Lord Roos cried. Tis done under compulsion, and I protest against it. Sign, I say, the young nobleman exclaimed, rapping the table peremptorily. On this, Sir Francis wrote his name in the place indicated. Enough, Lord Roos cried, snatching up the paper. This is all I want. Now set him on the table, that his partner may have him in full view when he arrives. Twill give him a foretaste of what he may himself expect. What mean you, rough ruffians? Tis an indignity to which I shall not submit, cried Sir Francis, who was now, however, too far gone to offer any resistance. A leathern girdle was found, with which he was fastened to the chair, so as to prevent him slipping from it, and in this state he was hoisted upon the table, and set with his face to the door, 
looking the very picture of inebriety, with his head drooping on one side, his arms dangling uselessly down, and his thin legs stretched idly out. After making some incoherent objections to this treatment, he became altogether silent, and seemed to fall asleep. His elevation was received with shouts of laughter from the whole company. The incident had not taken place many minutes, and a round had scarcely been drunk by the guests, when a loud and peremptory summons was heard at the door. The noise roused even the poor drunkard in the chair, who, lifting up his head, stared about him with vacant eyes. "'Let the door be opened!' the same authoritative voice exclaimed, which had before ordered its closure. The mandate was obeyed, and, amidst profound silence, which suddenly succeeded with clashing of glasses and expressions of hilarity, Sir Giles Mompassant entered, with his bodyguard of myrmidons behind him. Habited in black, as was his custom, with a velvet mantle on his shoulder, and a long rapier by his side, he came forward with a measured step and assured demeanor. Though he must necessarily have been surprised by the assemblage he found, so much more numerous and splendid than he could have anticipated, he betrayed no signs whatever of embarrassment. Nor, though his quick eye instantly detected Sir Francis, and he guessed at once why the poor knight had been so scandalously treated, did he exhibit any signs of displeasure, or take the slightest notice of the circumstance, reserving this point for consideration when his first business should be settled. An additional frown might have darkened his countenance, but it was so stern and somber without it that no perceptible change could be discerned, unless it might be in the lightning glances he cast around, as if seeking someone he might call to account presently for the insult. But no one seemed willing to reply to the challenge. Though bold enough before he came, and boastful of what they would do, they all looked awed by his presence, and averted their gaze from him. There was, indeed, something so formidable in the man, that to shun a quarrel with him was more a matter of prudence than an act of cowardice, and on the present occasion no one liked to be the first to provoke him, trusting to his neighbor to commence the attack, or awaiting the general outbreak. There was one exception, however, and that was Jocelyn Monchensey, who, so far from desiring to shun Sir Giles's searching regards, courted them, and as the knight's eagle eye ranged round the table and fell upon him, the young man, notwithstanding the efforts of his pacific neighbor in the furred cloak to restrain him, suddenly rose up, and throwing all the scorn and defiance he could muster into his countenance, returned Mompesson's glance with one equally fierce and menacing. A bitter smile curled Sir Giles's lip at this reply to his challenge, and he regarded the young man fixedly, as if to grave his features upon his memory. Perhaps they brought Monchensey's father to mind, for Sir Giles withdrew his gaze for a moment to reflect, and then looked again at Jocelyn with fresh curiosity. If he had any doubts as to whom he beheld, they were removed by Sir Francis, who managed to hiccup forth, "'Tis he, Sir Giles, tis Jocelyn Monchensey." "'I thought as much,' Sir Giles muttered. "'A moment, young man,' he cried, waving his hand imperiously to his antagonist. "'Your turn will come presently.' And without bestowing further notice on Jocelyn, who resisted all his neighbor's entreaties to him to sit down, Sir Giles advanced toward the middle chamber, where he paused and took off his cap, having hitherto remained covered. In this position, he looked like a grand inquisitor attended by his familiars. End of chapter 7